I'm Roma Agrawal, engineer, author, and presenter of this podcast, Building Stories, the podcast where we explore the human-made world around us. So far, we've looked at the Shard, the Brooklyn Bridge, and the Basilica Cistern. But today, we're going to do something slightly different. I have a special treat for you. Katie Hickey, an amazing artist and illustrator, and I have our new book out. It's called How Was That Built? It's a children's book aimed at approximately 7 to 11 years old, but I have to say that my two-year-old loves Katie's artwork already. Katie and I are coming together to have a little chat today about our careers so far, how we came together to create this book, to give you some sneak previews into its content, to discuss our techniques on writing and on illustration, to talk about STEM and the arts and how we can bring them closer together and how we work together to create this masterpiece. Yes, I said it. Yes, I'm biased. Both of us wanted to be architects when we were kids. You ended up a kid's book illustrator and I ended up an engineer. What's it like on the moon? The force of gravity on the moon is six times less than that on Earth. And I think the main thing we need to point out is that it's two women have done this book. Two women have done a book on engineering. We are forced to choose between kind of STEM and the arts at young ages. I don't know where this segregation of the arts and science comes from because if you look back in time, Da Vinci is one of the most famous artists in the world, but he's also an inventor. People didn't have flushing toilets, so they would throw all of their waste into the river. I can't expect that you had a career ambition to draw stuff related to poo when you were a young child. You'd be surprised. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining me, Katie. It's so great to have you. It's really good to be here. It's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Can you um, introduce yourself for our yeah. listeners? Um, my name is Katie Hickey. I'm an illustrator and designer, um, mostly working in children's publishing, um, though I do a few other bits and whatever comes along my way. Um, and I live just outside of London in Godalming. That sounds lovely. Um, could you tell me a bit more about your background and how it is that you ended up in children's illustrating? So I I went to university to study illustration at Falmouth University and at Falmouth when I was there the way they sort of structure the last two years of the course is that you kind of instigate your own projects and those projects are kind of largely based on what what you're interested in and what kind of pulls you in in some way and some people it was more editorial illustration or more science illustration or some people it was book covers um I didn't really know (laughs) I basically just found topics or things that I was interested in and did a lot of research into them and then figured out what kind of field of illustration they kind of ended up in and they mostly just ended up in publishing children's publishing so yeah, I've done. I've I've worked in different fields of illustration, but none of them have kind of kept me interested in the same way that children's publishing has. You mentioned to me once that you'd wanted to be an architect when you were younger. So, so yeah. this is now an ambition that both of us share. Okay. Yeah. So, what I'm super fascinated by is the fact that both of us wanted to be architects when we were kids. Yeah. You ended up a kids' book illustrator, and I ended up an engineer. Yeah. Um, and then somewhere in life, again, yeah. we, we joined up again. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about your interest in architecture and then how come you ended up in the arts field? So my dad is an engineer 
Um, he's retired now, but he was a civil engineer. He worked in, in oil and petrol stations. So there was always that kind of background of interest in engineering, interest in architecture and appreciation for that. I grew up watching Grand Designs. <laughs> um, it is quite well known that one of my favorite people on the planet is Kevin MacLeod. <laughs> Um, and I, yeah, I just thought, well, I'm going to be an architect when I grow up and that's really cool. And I did art, history of art, English and maths at A level. And I absolutely tanked maths. I was rubbish. I just don't have the brain for it. So unfortunately, I couldn't have gone to university to do architecture, maybe at the caliber that I would have wanted to. But yeah, when I couldn't, goes to architecture I was kind of thinking um about illustration and my other kind of passion with I was a big bookworm as a child um yeah I just sort of fell into it I suppose um a happy second alternative and how about you how did you end up being an engineer if you weren't an architect (laughs) (laughs) um I always loved science I grew up in India and there was always a big emphasis on science and scientific careers. So everyone wanted their kids to become doctors, engineers, accountants, um, because those were respectable, prestigious, well-paying sorts of jobs. And I also loved art. So I used to paint. I used to do these art exams. I did extra art classes at school. And so I was wondering what can bring together my love of science and love of art. And architecture seemed like the obvious choice. Yeah. And I think that that was right. But I ended up then moving to the UK to do my A-levels. And I did maths, further maths, physics and design and technology because I couldn't do art and design technology. Yeah, that was that was the kind of like the issue that I had in my A-levels as well was I I was actually also really interested in drama um, and I was told that I couldn't do art and drama together. It's funny how like simple things as like the way your college does your timetable can basically affect what you go into in the future. So so I ended up doing actually quite technical subjects then at A-level. Yeah. And when I was applying to university, I had no idea what career I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself and decided to apply for physics because research suggested, and it's completely true, that with a physics degree or a maths degree, in fact, you can pretty much do any career you want. So I said, fine, I'll leave my options open. Yeah. And then it was one summer when I was working um, to earn some cash that I was exposed to the world of engineering And I said, aha, this is going to allow me to use my maths and physics, but on really practical things, because I'm quite a practical person. And I wanted to see how can I actually use all this super technical stuff to actually make stuff. So what I can definitely see between us is like a common love of making stuff, creating stuff, with the frustration that we need to make choices so young. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think that that is a massive pet peeve of mine, because I just think there's so much pressure on you people when they're really young to make quite massive decisions about what they're going to do forever. Totally. And I think that's one of the reasons we have a dearth of engineers in this country is because you basically have to pick the right A-levels or you can't get into the Mm. university courses. But because students don't know what engineering is in terms of a career, what that actually looks like day to day, they don't consider it as a career and then they don't pick up the right A-levels and then you just end up kind of cutting yourself out of it. So... Engineering and authoring are very, on paper, very different. So how did that happen? How did you go into book writing? 
Um, that's a great question. It's not something I ever, ever, ever planned to do. Mm. So I was one of those people, I loved science. I hated writing. I always hated writing. Um, and I did it and I could do it okay, but mm. I don't think I was ever really taught properly. And it wasn't something that really interested me. Yeah. The thing that happened with me is because I was lucky enough to work on the Shard during my career. So I spent six years of the, of my career working on the Shard. Mm -hmm. Um, me and my colleagues ended up getting invited to present our work that we did okay. on the Shard to all kinds of different engineering audiences. Yeah. But then because of who I am, I was the youngest engineer on my team. I was the only female engineer on my team for a while, not for the mm -hmm. whole project. And I'm a person of color. Mm -hmm. I started getting invitations from universities, from schools, from women in leadership groups. Okay. And suddenly I ended up out there presenting my work in a very accessible way because yeah. I was trying to explain to five-year-olds yeah. how the shard was built yeah. and that really forced me to kind of try and super simplify things yeah. um, and then during one of these public lectures I was doing which I guess was pretty good <laughs> I guess it was quite engaging an agent came up to me and asked me if I'd consider writing a book oh. um, and eventually that led to Built which is the first book that I wrote and you know this is a popular science book mm -hmm. it's non-fiction and it explains material sciences it explains how you build um, skyscrapers bridges all these different sorts of things mm -hmm. but the reason we're here today <laughs> is because we have done a book together yeah and you've probably figured out by now that it's a children's book on engineering yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called how was that built mm-hmm it is absolutely stunning. Thank you very much. And I'm allowed to say that because you did all the artwork. <laughs> <laughs> so How Was That Built was a real kind of passion project for me. I had written Built, but then I had a lot of young people. So even 10 and 12 year olds were reading Built, which is really oh, wow. aimed at adults. Wow. And they were saying how much they loved it. And I said, hold on a second. I've got this amazing audience yeah. of technical, inspired, creative young people. So I wanted to do a children's version. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the children's department at Bloomsbury, who published Built, mm. came to me and said, oh, do you have any ideas for kids' books? Because, yeah. you know, Built has been so successful. And that's really where it was born. So we basically had a big brainstorm together and and this was where I really enjoyed the creative process at the beginning mm. was I was sat down with some editors and commissioners and designers at Bloomsbury mm. and we were just throwing ideas around and then we came up with this whole concept of how was that built because yeah. kids are full of questions yeah so the the premise of the book was how do you build things and the answers are in the book. It's like, how do you build tall? How to yeah, build yeah. long? How to build deep or clean or yeah, whatever? Yeah. So that was how I came into it. And I think in terms of process, I just remember having hundreds of post-its of basically every topic I wanted to cover. Mm. So I wrote down all the different materials. So I put down steel on one post-it, concrete on one post-it, like glass um, and so on. Then I put down different eras I wanted to cover. I put down different structures I wanted to cover. I wrote down the names of all seven continents. Yeah. And then I said, hold on, forget land. What about underwater yeah. and in space? So I was like, how can I you know, expand this idea of building as much as possible? Mm. And then I had people and people are really, really important to me because, you know, we were talking about the lack of diversity in engineering. Yeah. And I really wanted to showcase super 
diverse role models throughout the book. Yeah. So I now had basically all these hundreds of post-its with all of these words on them. Yeah. And then I had to figure out how to slot this in into little sections. And the way we set it up, it's an 80-page book. And I think we've got 11 or 12 sections with three spreads each. And then I picked a headline structure for each yeah. subsection and then slotted in a material, a person, a technique or something yeah. to like complete the story. Yeah. And at the end of it, there were no post-its left, yeah. essentially. But, yeah. that, but that took a long time. There was a lot of jiggling around of post-its and changing which structure to feature in order to ensure that I could cover all the different topics mm. I wanted. Yeah, it worked well. I think the format of it works really well in that sense. How did you react when you were first approached to work on an engineering book? Uh, I don't think I can say the word. Um, <laughs> uh, a little bit, um, a little bit overwhelmed. Um, I was quite nervous about the technicalities of everything. I was nervous about getting things wrong. I suppose um, I was a little bit nervous about working with you because what you've done is really cool with your career. Yeah, a um, little, yeah, and it's just. It was my, it is my biggest project I've worked on. Um, so I was just a bit like, okay. And also like, I'm sure other illustrators and artists can appreciate. Um, there's just some things that are a hell of a lot easier to draw than others. Um, and some things that are a hell of a lot easier to make pretty than others. Um, you know, plants and landscapes and those sort of things are all very easy to deal with buildings are not easy to make look inviting and rich um particularly modern buildings you know they're all quite steely colors quite you know cool toned um so to make them look engaging and inviting is quite a tricky task however what um I was never in any doubt that I was going to do the project but what kind of really gripped me was the fact that it's a really rich book in terms of it is about engineering, but there's also a hell of a lot about culture um, and history and people. And, and then we had a conversation. Yeah. So we sat down, I think, with a similar team, but the both of us together. Yeah. And I I also remember like both of us just chatting, chatting, chatting. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So much chat because we were both so excited about the whole yeah, project. Yeah. And then I think you were throwing ideas around, I was throwing ideas around. And then I basically bombarded you mm. with a huge stack of images, photos, sketches, I've still links. got some of the books you lent me, which I oh, yeah. keep meaning to give back to you. Oh, yeah. yeah, we'll have to sort that one yeah. out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about how your process works. So this was all a learning experience for me. So I got thumbnails, then I got roughs, then I got kind of bits of colour involved. Yeah. Um, so can you talk to me? about that process and can you also tell me how you work by hand mm -hmm. um, with paint and with materials but then also and then how you incorporate the digital side of things as well because I think people will find that really interesting yeah so I kind of the way I do my artwork is I like I like my artwork to have a classic feel but with a little kick up the bum in some ways um I love that I do yeah I, I love the way you've just described that because I I've, there's a certain playfulness in your work that I just yeah. I think it's so unique and beautiful thank you um yeah I do like it to look sort of timeless but then equally I don't I don't want it to look fuddy-duddy at all um so I do a lot of my work by 
hand painting things using um, watercolour and gouache paint and then drawing into it with colour pencil. And I basically buy a lot of um, watercolour paper at the start of the project and I don't use a sketchbook because I find the bit in the middle really annoying. Um, And I just have lots of sheets of paper and I do lots of little paintings of all the different things. And then I also do a big lot of hand-rendered textures, which are either monoprinted or watercolour, worked in with other materials like wax. Wax makes quite cool textures or pastels or graphite. Um, And then everything is sort of digitally assembled. So one of the spreads that probably show this the best in, in the book is more skyscraping structures. The Patronus Towers, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. 451 metres, completed in 1998. The tallest twin building in the world. Taipei 101, Taipei, Taiwan. 508 metres, completed 2004. It was constructed to withstand typhoon winds and earthquake tremors. Torre Mayor, Mexico City, Mexico. 225 meters, completed 2003. It has a special skeleton with pistons that help reduce its sway during earthquakes. So all of these skyscrapers were hand-painted with watercolour and colour pencil and then they're all kind of digitally assembled with all these sort of haziness at the bottom of the spread is monoprinted textures, the clouds are graphite and then throughout the book I wanted to make sure that the buildings and the structures that were the main focus of the spreads um, weren't detracted at all so I also did lots of sort of watercolour very basic abstracted buildings that are kind of reused throughout the book just to kind of give it a little bit of depth and dimension yeah um, so those are your more kind of typical maybe little apartment buildings or little yeah. office buildings just yeah. to kind of in, in some ways I, th- I feel like having that at the base makes these unique skyscraper ones kind of pop out a bit yeah more. yeah and it just grounds them a bit and makes them well kind of gives a nice size comparison as well and makes them look as nice and big as possible so yeah they're all hand painted which is quite a nice thing to have I have this little stack at home of paintings and stuff that I've done for the book so I think my favorite spread I love the skyscrapers but I think my favorite spread is the how to build an outer space one what's it like on the moon the force of gravity on the moon is six times less than that on earth The amount of force pulling down on the objects is smaller, and so a lighter material could be used to build a structure on the moon compared to the Earth. It won't float away. Even the smaller force of gravity is enough to make sure of that. In the past, missions to the moon, lunar landers and rovers didn't need to be anchored to the surface. I think I loved the research for that because Mm. I got to speak to these incredible scientists and engineers who work for places like the European Space Agency and yeah. other private companies. Um, I particularly remember speaking to Dr. Advanet Makaya. He was incredible in explaining to me how to basically use moon dust to create 
cement and then make a moon concrete. So cool. the research for this was incredible because also this is not something I'd ever written about before. Yeah. And I thought it would be super engaging for kids because kids love space. Yeah. But then the artwork for this is just so incredibly stunning. So we're looking at like a big bright yellow planet sash star mm-hmm. on the right hand side of the spread. We've yeah. got some slightly smaller planets on the left, and at the bottom we have the moon. We've almost got these kind of aurora-type bright colours sweeping across the page. But in the middle, so this was a special request from me, yeah. which was to paint um, or to draw the first module of the International Space Station, which is called Zarya, which you've written out in Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's my daughter's name. Yeah. So there's a little special nod to yeah. my little girl. Can you tell me a little bit about the art techniques you used on this one? Yeah, so drawing space is one of my favourite things. Um, drawing space and night skies and auroras is my favourite thing. It's more digital than some of the other spreads. And I actually quite I enjoy that side of it because it feels a lot more experimental and you can work with Photoshop Um a lot more creatively than maybe in some of the other spreads. So Zarya's satellite, satellite, isn't it? Space, like a Space module. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> is completely hand-rendered, hand-painted with watercolour and coloured pencil and gouache paint and then sort of scanned in at really high resolution and then really carefully cut out and sort of sat in, in amongst other layers on Photoshop so that it doesn't look plonked on or cut out in any way. Um, the planets and the moon are all felt-tip pen, that like slightly dried-out felt-tip pen. So just really simply drawn circles with them and then layered into Photoshop with an overlay layer this probably doesn't make any sense, which means that the colour's really bright and really popped. But the felt-tip pen kind of gives the slightly non-solid look to it, textured look. The whooshes across the spread are ink that is then reversed in Photoshop. Ah, cunning. Yeah, so it's it's all they're all black when you draw them. Okay. And then you, you reverse them in Photoshop so that they are white. Um and then all the textures are like splatters of ink or watercolour. Um, and then the haziness is monoprinted. Mono the texture on the moon is like really big watered down splatters mm. of watercolour. Um, so, yeah, it's a really creative way of working with when you're kind of u- using more sort of loose textures and loose mark making. And I really enjoy it because... I think it gives a kind of sort of fantastical look to the spread. It's one of my favourite spreads as well. I think one of the other spreads that we both love is the one on poo. <laughs> we have lots of poo-related artwork. Yeah. I'm going to say poo as many times as I can on this podcast. Yeah. Um, I find it a really fascinating story because we don't really think about it. We think poo is really gross. Yeah. Um, here's a little stat. Each one of us adults produces 140 kilograms of poo a year. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of poo. That's a lot. Um, That's about three times my body weight, just about. Yeah. And we just flush our toilets and then we have no idea what happens to it. But actually the health of cities is so intrinsically tied into 
how well we can and I don't dispose think, of it. I don't think adults that alone children really appreciate the what's going on underneath their feet and how there's like a whole other world going on down there and it's what's going on. It's a hidden, hidden world, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I can't expect that you had a career ambition to draw <laughs> stuff related to poo when you were a young You'd child. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I think most publishers will, when they're discussing their lists of what's being, what they're going to publish in the next few years, they will have a gap on the list for a poo-related poo book. book. Okay, so we've brought poo to engineering. Yeah. So I love this spread because it's really, really busy. There's lots of buildings there. And it gives me the sense of a city, you know, a big metropolitan city, lots of stuff going on. Mm. And then hold on a second, what's happening under our feet? Yeah. And you've got this beautiful sort of River Thames running across the page. Hundreds of years ago, the city of London and surrounding areas received lots of clean water from the River Thames and the smaller streams and rivers that fed into it. People didn't have flushing toilets, so they would throw all of their waste into the river. As the population increased, it became disgusting. The river was also used to dispose of human bodies and animal carcasses, which filled the water with disease-causing bacteria. By the 1800s, there were 200,000 cesspits in the city. These were pits in the ground outside houses where people would empty their chamber pots, the bowls they used as toilets. But these cesspits leaked and caused even more pollution. Workers called gong farmers cleared the pits out, dumping their contents into fields and the river. The worst thing was that the River Thames was still the main source of water for Londoners, for washing, cleaning and drinking. So can you tell me a little bit about your approach to this? Um, basically, I thought of the river as being like a nice device for the timeline um, and using the illustration to break up the text and make it more digestible. There's a lot of text in this There's one. an awful lot of text. There's an awful <laughs> lot of information. But kind of placing it along the river in the sense of a timeline helped digest it, make it help break it down a lot easier. Um, and... Yeah, if if you said to a child, okay, let's sit down and read about sewers, they'd probably be a bit like, well, this is this is a bit. Why would I want to read about Why sewers? Would I do that? <laughs> However, like it was, it was just fun for me to kind of draw London um, from quite like almost a medieval time all the way through to like the Industrial Revolution, and the section starts um, in medieval times, and it's the little details in this that I quite like doing, um, like the top left corner. I don't know if you can see anything in particular. Oh, oh I have not noticed that. <laughs> there is a man doing a poo. And yeah. oh my God, I've never noticed. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. I had not noticed that. I had always, like my eyes were drawn to the cows and the sheep. Yeah. But now I can see the poo is actually dropping out of his bum. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I got paid to do that. <laughs> um yeah it was just it's just fun I mean like this is what I mean I don't if you presented that to a kid and that was learning yeah that's way that's more cool. they're gonna remember that they're gonna they'll probably read this part of the book and go oh and that's the bit where the man's having a poo and they'll remember it and they'll digest it um no pun intended yeah yeah <laughs> I hope not um, but 
yeah, I just really enjoyed doing it's. This is one of the spreads that again is a lot more hand rendered and not really digitally um, interfered with too much. All the buildings were hand painted and then sort of assembled on Photoshop. If you notice as you turn the page, the where the river ends on one part of the page. Mm. Yes, yeah, so where it kind starts of on, the on the next right of the first spread. Yeah, and then that translates exactly to the top left of the next spread. Yeah, so it's a continuation of the timeline, and again using the river as a device for the timeline. And yeah, it was just a really fun spread to work on, and really um, for me, like a really good way to try and break down quite a tricky top topic into something a lot more engaging and inviting and yeah hopefully interesting for children I guess one of the things that I'm really really keen on with this book is to present engineering in an exciting engaging super interesting way for young people because it is it is yes (laughs) it is and more people need to know that yeah and I want more diverse kids like kids from lots of different backgrounds to see themselves as engineers and to think of themselves as engineers more little girls more little girls more people of color more people from socially disadvantaged backgrounds yeah everything really I I just want to see humanity reflected in the engineering workforce and what I love about this book is that you've got all of that engineering stuff but then tied into that is incredible artwork creativity but even with your artwork there's a balance between the amazing handwork you've done but also digital techniques which exist because of engineering yeah so it's irritating yeah I think is the word (laughs) that um we are forced to choose between kind of stem and the arts at young ages yeah both of us ended up on completely different career paths because of being forced to make these choices and if I'm going to be honest I don't know where it comes from I don't know where this segregation of the arts and science comes from because if you look back in time some of the greatest people ever known are science and artists um da vinci totally is one of the most famous artists in the world but he's also an inventor yeah and a lot of the things that we use now come from his ideas and his thinking so i just i don't get it (laughs) i don't understand why we're pigeonholed so young. My theory is that these different professions became more and more specialized as time went Mm. on. And in order to really become an expert in that particular field, you ended up going down different paths. Like even structural engineering and architecture used to be the same career. Mm. You you needed to know both, but that's not the case anymore. And so I guess the question is how can we work to bring things more together in the future? I think it's just, it's from the very beginning. I think it's from education as children. I think um, the more diverse we are in our approaches to education, the more diverse everything will be in life. Not just engineering, but any subject will become more diverse. We can't expect all children to learn in the same way. I used to love reading stories as a kid, but I'm not a massive reader now. I don't digest information by reading particularly well but I am a I listen to podcasts all the time and I listen to audiobooks all the time and I look at things look at Pinterest and look at images all the time Um, and that is how I learn yeah and I you know it does make you wonder that if as a child if information was presented to me in that way then maybe I would have got it 
a bit easier. I mean, like the way languages are taught should be a, a huge example of how everyone learns incredibly differently. Like I remember when I was at school learning French and Spanish, you had a reading, a writing, a listening and a speaking exam. Mm. And I did really well with the writing and the speaking, but I did awfully, like really badly with the reading and the listening. Mm. Surely that's just shows that, you know, everyone has strengths and weaknesses in the way they learn and you can't expect all children to learn in the same way. Yeah. One of the things that occurs to me is what we can do more at home. So, mm. you know, whether you're a parent or a guardian or an uncle or auntie or, mm. you know, you're around children at home, you are almost the first exposure that children will get to the world of science yeah. and engineering and I think every child is so naturally curious yeah um I remember my toddler the first thing she would do she would pick up any new object she hadn't seen before she would shake it yeah and then she would throw it yeah and she was always amazed like oh that one bounced but that other yeah. one didn't and the that one broke or whatever but then else so happened. many parents would go don't do that don't throw that don't do that and it's like <laughs> <laughs> you know they're meant that how are they meant to learn yeah I mean, okay don't throw the ball through the window but yeah, don't do that <laughs> um but you know yeah it does bounce how cool is that it is cool and so I I love this idea of nurturing children's curiosity yeah and I really really hope that our book yeah. how was that built yeah will nurture children's curiosity in the world of engineering and science and so on but also in the world of art and drawing and yeah. digital expression yeah and we're going to be working on some videos where we're yeah. going to do art demonstrations and engineering demonstrations together yeah so that's another place that you know carers can go to to find activities for their kids to do hopefully <laughs> and I think the main thing we need to point out is that it's two women have done this book yeah like two women have done a yeah. book on engineering yeah a best-selling yeah <laughs> book on engineering I don't know 10 years ago I don't know if that really would have been a thing I don't well you would have hoped it would have been a thing but yeah it is a thing it is a thing and it's a it's a cool thing so how was that built the children's book about how to build things, the stories behind awesome structures by Roma Agrawal and Katie Hickey is now out. Mm -hmm. It's available in all good bookshops and online in the cloud somewhere. You can order it, it will arrive at your doorstep. And Katie and I really, really hope that you enjoy it. And yeah. please write in to us. Yeah, no, it would be lovely to hear what everyone thinks about it. Thank you so much for chatting with me on the Building Stories podcast. It's all right, thank you so much for having me. So listeners, I hope that today's episode has given you an insight into the world of children's books, illustration, writing, engineering, and of course, the built world around us. How Is That Built is available to buy from all good bookshops and online. To support me as an author and this podcast, get it from www.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash RTE. That's RTE for Roma the Engineer. Also, look out for Katie and I's YouTube films with demonstrations that you can try at home, which involve both engineering and art exercises. That's all for now. Katie and I really hope that you enjoy How Is That Built? Thanks for listening. Thank you.